Hi, just a heads up here. You are about to listen to an episode that's part of a series you'll be hearing from me covering various aspects of the potential overturning of Roe versus Wade. So the subject matter is graphic, it's sensitive, and it's very emotional. Please make sure that the listening audience around you is appropriate if needed. Additionally, I wanted to let you guys know that I have done my best to bring episodes that will shed light on all aspects of this conversation. So you'll hear from a physician who specializes in family planning and abortion care. You will hear the personal story of a woman who is faced with an unimaginable choice. You'll also hear from a pastor and author um, who will speak about the biblical aspects of this conversation. All of these conversations, they are all equally important, and I hope will serve as tools to help you have a more comprehensive and informed discussion. I'm not asking you to agree with anything you hear in any of these episodes, but rather I am asking you to listen with an open mind and an open heart. You are listening to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner Claire O'Brien. In healthcare, we have so many questions about what's trending versus what's actually the truth. So on this show, we're going to get to the bottom of it. It's health, it's wellness, it's beauty, explained by the people who actually know what they're talking about. Hey guys, welcome back to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I am your host, Claire O'Brien, nurse practitioner, and I'm here today with a friend of mine, Sarah Frick, who lives in Charleston. Um, I've known Sarah for a really long time, and thank you guys for continuing to listen to this series. I know it's um, very difficult and emotional, but um, I wanted to have a really, what I feel like is a really personal and, and, and impactful story um, just to kind of, you know, give people, I think, a different perspective that they may not have really ever thought about. Um, so Sarah, and, and we'll get into all that, but Sarah, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this and taking the time and honestly taking the, the energy to do this. And y'all will understand um, why in a little bit. Yes. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Do you, let's, I mean, let's just start with just, let's just start with Grace. Let's just tell okay. a little bit of. Uh, Grace's story or Grace's whole story as much as you're ready to share. Yes. Okay. So like Claire said, my name's Sarah. I live in Charleston, South Carolina. I am a yoga teacher, a fitness teacher, and a business owner. Um, I own a few studios here in Charleston. And um, my husband and I got married almost maybe 12, 13, who can keep up, 12 years ago or so. And um, I knew I always wanted to be a mom. Like that was just, I've just always wanted to have a big family and, you know, lots of kids running around. And I just, I love to be around people. And so my husband and I, we were married for about a year and we got pregnant. Um, I was 29, John was 30. And we got pregnant with um, our first child Um, and like when we found out we were pregnant, I was like over the moon, so excited. I just was ready for, to be a mom. My mom was my best friend and she had recently passed away and John had also lost his mom. So for us, like to be able to, you know, have a family and to do all these things was just, it was just a blessing. Um, and so I got pregnant and 
I remember the first, the day after we tested, we went for a walk on the beach and I was wearing a shirt that said Grace on it. And when John and I went out for brunch after we walked, he was like, if we have a little girl, we'll name her Grace. And like, little did we know how big that name was going to be, right? So we, I went, I decided to use um, a midwife, um, but also to deliver in a hospital. So um, I started seeing my midwife and I was, you know, having a very normal pregnancy. Um, I felt fine. I felt good. You know, um, I was super active. Like I said, I own studios, yoga teacher, whatever. And, um, we kind of just cruised through the pregnancy, had baby showers, you know, spent like all first time moms, like an insane amount of time, like decorating the nursery and my, my stepmom, um, who was also deceased at this point, but was, you know, in my life then was so wonderful. And John's, um, stepmother as well. And they just like helped us and nurtured us and created this really like warm environment. And everyone was so excited. John has two sisters. And so like, you know, everyone was just, we were just so excited for her arrival. Um, and we got to about, I think I got to like 36 weeks, maybe 35, 36. I was like 36 weeks. And I went in to the, um, to go see my midwife and she measured me. Cause I don't think we'd had an ultrasound since 20 weeks, just cause we, we did, you know, an ultrasound at the beginning, one at 20 weeks. And then I don't believe we had had one since then. I'm pretty sure. So she, you know, measured me and she was like, you're measuring small. She's like, but you know, you're super tall, you're fit. This, that's probably it. And I was like, I just had this feeling. And I was like, can I, I would really like to get an ultrasound. So she called in, um, a doctor or Dr. Um, Natalie Gregory, who I love, who went on to deliver other children of mine. And Natalie looked at the ultrasound and she said, you know, you are measuring small. Let's do this. Let's just send you to MUSC, which is our teaching hospital that has a lot, you know, bigger equipment and everything. And let's just get you on that 3d ultrasound just to see if they see anything. Um, and so of course, like immediately I start freaking out and I'm by myself cause it was just supposed to be this like routine appointment. And Barbara, who was my midwife at the time, who's an amazing woman and who's now retired, but she like brought me in and she's like, listen, I have a feeling everything's okay. We saw you at 20, you know, we saw everything at 20 weeks. Um, let's, she's like, I have a feeling maybe your placenta's just given up. I've seen it so many times. Let's just get you to like 37 weeks and get the baby out of you and get the baby on the breast, start to beef that baby back up. So, um, I had to go to this appointment at MUSC and they got me in that day. Um, or yeah, they got me in that afternoon. And for anyone that's, you know, been at one practice and then immediately has to switch to another because of something that could be wrong with your baby. It's really like scary. It's like nerve wracking, you know? So John yeah, and, and I went is like the big daddy, like massive hospital where you gotta like, it, totally. I mean, I'm sure that felt like very terrifying. Oh yeah. And I mean, it's, you go, and now that I know so much of being in and out of hospitals, like it's, you know, I understand why there's so many people and why it's the way it is. But at the time, like I was some, I, I had no idea what was going on. Right. I had like come from this, like, you know, East Cooper, which is like this basically like a concierge service to going somewhere where you're like a number, you know, and they call you in and, and they're wonderful there, but I just, it was a totally different experience. Um, and so they put me on the ultrasound there and the doctor, he thought he saw a few things that possibly were abnormalities, which fast forward to when Grace was born, none of those were actually her. They weren't, but you know, but right away that puts the fear in you. So, um, 
he reported back to my midwife, and now I was also under the care of a doctor at my practice as well. I think it was Natalie. Um, and they said, you know, let's get you to, like I said, 37 weeks, and we will deliver the baby. So, you know, in the meantime between, so that's like a week and anyone that's like ever waited for a test result, anyone that's ever, you know, my mom had cancer. I just remember like waiting for her PET scan results. Anytime you're like in that perpetual waiting room, it is terrifying. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's just, it's like, and, and I'm, I'm such a, a freaking like glutton for punishment. Like I'm like the Google queen, you know, which is just, especially 10 years ago before I knew better. It was just a lot kept coming up. And I remember I sent this mass email. It's gonna make me start crying to like all my girlfriends. Cause of course, like, you know, we're all in the same age. Tons of us are pregnant at the same time. And I sent them this email and there was probably like, I don't know, 20 people on it. And I was like, I just want you guys to know that I think Grace is going to be special, but we're going to love her just exactly the way she is. And you know, I, this baby is just going to be our baby. And like everyone responded, they're like, we are going to love this baby so much, you know? And so every, like we had this, this team behind us of not just our family, but like our friends and all these people that were like, she's going to be our perfectly beautiful, special baby. Like, she's just going to be wonderful. So John and I um, checked into the hospital May 14th um, to start the induction. You know, and when you go to the hospital, you have your car seat in the car because no way in my wildest dreams did I think what was going to happen happened. And um, they started my induction. And I had two midwives, Barbara, who was there with me, and then a woman named Jean Blake. And Jean was pre- Jean and I were pregnant at the same time. She was pregnant with her third. And I remember Jean watched my labor the whole time, and she would text me and be like, you're kicking ass in there. Like, that baby is doing so good. And so it came time to push. Now we're in May 15th, which is actually John's birthday and Grace's birthday as well. And it came time to push. And when... I started to transition or the baby started to transition. We lost her heart rate, her heartbeat, um, which I know can happen sometimes. But Barbara just looked so scared. And, you know, she was like, but she also was super focused on helping me. And she was like, you got to, you know, we got to get this baby out. So as soon as Grace came out, um, she wasn't breathing. So there was no crying. And the whole hospital went like code blue or whatever it is. And there was like, so many people in the room. And I mean, I remember John just standing to the left of me and I just remember looking at him because I feel like I knew. And I was like, we're going to do this again. And he was just like, what are you talking about? He's like, they're going to make it better. And I just had this feeling like this mother's intuition. I was like, this this situation is not going to get better. And so they intubated her at East Cooper, which is in Mount Pleasant. Um, um, And they intubated her. They took her out of the room. And I remember just looking at Barbara being like, what is going on? And she's like, I don't know what's going on right now. Um, and after she sewed me up and John and I were just sitting there, she went out and told our families were in the waiting room and, you know, she had to tell them what was going on. And, um, she came back in and the team of doctors wheeled Grayson and she was in like an incubator because they were about to take her in the ambulance to the hospital at MUSC downtown, which has a NICU. And I remember looking at her and I've said this before in a podcast and like, you know, when, now that I have had my other children, like your baby like gets put on you. And it's like the most precious moment. And this, she had such fear in her eyes. And it was just 
heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. And I just will never forget that. And thinking like I brought this beautiful child in the world and she looked perfectly like normal, like a baby. And she looked so scared and so much in so much pain. Um, and so they immediately took her away. And because I'd had an epidural, we had to spend the night at the hospital we were at in Mount Pleasant. Um, the next morning we woke up and I remember just like, you know, sitting with John and it's like, it, it, it's just, it's a, just a terrible experience to have a baby and then be in the room by yourself. Um, I was going to say, I mean, what is that? What do you do? I'm, y'all, I'm sorry. I, there is no way in hell I'm getting through this podcast without weeping. Like, I don't care whose story this is, but this is my friend and it's going to be just, really hard. You but, know, oh, it's, what is that like? I mean, you're just sitting there and you're like, hell. What, what's my baby doing? It's hell. It's hell. Like immediately I was like, they were like, we're going to give you an IV of Ativan. I was like, can you please give my husband something too? And I think they did. Like it was just <laughs> yeah. really terrible. And yeah. I mean, on top of it, it's his birthday, you know, which it's like, that's in the, like, that doesn't matter. But I mean, it's like a day of celebration and we're going to have a baby and it's your birthday. And it's like, we have this bag of little things, you know, and it's just, it was just awful. And so the next morning we wake up and let me tell you, leaving labor and delivery without a baby is is some kind of torture um especially when there's you can hear babies crying all around you and there's like moms being wheeled down the hall with their babies you know I just remember like I had my head down I was just staring at my hands and this sweet nurse that like wheeled me out she was like she was like you know just this older woman real soulful and she was like I'm praying for you she's like you're gonna get through this you are gonna get through this she was you know and it just it's just moments like that that like you cling to and so you know I and clearly I just had a baby maybe 12 hours before so I'm like in you know I'm sore I'm in pain I'm all the regular pregnant things bleeding and, and peeing we got in John's everywhere truck. And, oh yeah it's and lack and, and my boobs hurt <laughs> you know lactating yeah I mean yeah wow. I mean it's just everything and so we go to MUSC and she's in the NICU and you know, we didn't know what was going on then at the time. Um, and we couldn't, we couldn't like hold her or anything. And she's like connected to like a million different machines, but like, she's just like this beautiful pink little baby, you know? And I'm like, this just doesn't make sense in my brain. Like what is going on? Why would God do this to us? You know, I just don't get it. And, um, we ended up, you know, we were kind of, we were there for that day, most of the day. And I think it was either the next morning or later that day. It all like totally runs together. But this doctor who's at MUSC, I believe he's still there. He's a really brilliant man. His name's Dr. Pai. And he's a geneticist. Yeah. Geneticist. And he came in and he was just so kind. And he said, he said, I've heard you're a yoga teacher. And I said, yes, I am. And he said, so you know how important breathing is? And I said, yes. And he said, this baby will never breathe on her own. He said, what she has is what's called a paralyzed diaphragm. He said, now some babies are born with it being paralyzed on one side or the other, and they can tack it up. And this, the babies and the children can honestly live like normal lives. He said, this baby will never live a normal life. Um, and I, I said, but she looks so perfect. Like I, you know, and, and I know that's so naive of me, like, because I'm like, but she looks perfect, you know? And he was like, I know he said, but as she grows, because like, she won't be able to thrive, right? Like 
in, in any way. She she won't always like look like that. Like you have to understand. Like it just was so hard for me to wrap my mind around that. I just could not get it. And um, it, you know, I said, so what do we do? You know, what do we do? And 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 there was like different things that, and I, I'm going to probably say this wrong, but is it called ECMO? Is that right? Or something like that. I, I for some reason I think they were going to do, I don't know. They thought about, they were trying to figure out all different possibilities, right? Like, and that's, they really were exhausting every option. They, they let us round with them. Like we learned more in 72 hours than I ever wanted to learn again, you know? Um, but ultimately John and I came home the second day and there was, you know, we had tons of people around us. All of our family was there. We had friends coming from out of town. Like we just, we have a really good network of, of people. And, um, I remember we were sitting on our back porch at our old house and I hadn't heard from the hospital in a while or I thought I hadn't. I guess they had tried to call us both and neither of us answered our phone. So I called and they said, I'm so glad you called. We just called. We think you should come down um, to the downtown. And um, that day when we had gotten home from the hospital before we got that call, John was like, I feel like she looked better today. Like he was just, just so hopeful, which is like, you know, I mean, it's, it's so hard seeing someone you love and John's such a like, you know, he's tough. He's a tough dude. And like, he wanted this little girl so bad. Um, and so we ended up going down there and they were like, you can hold her. And she was like, when her breathing tube stopped, these really nice nurses were like hand pumping air into her body. And we had our minister come and he's saying, Jesus loved me, and we baptized her. And then she went home. And, like, what should have been, like, the best day of our lives or the best first three days of being new parents was just absolute torture. And um, so after that, they took her out of the room, um, and I sat there and talked to this, uh, the head neonatologist at MUSC. His name is Jersey Khalid. And I remember, and I've talked about this in my classes, I've talked about this in podcasts before because I feel like there's moments in all of our lives that drop you into your body that are like literally burned on your brain. And like, this was one of them. And we sat like knee to knee and like people are crying, you know, it's a fucking shit show in there at this point. And I was just (laughs) so in shock. I was like, I looked at him and I mean, he like, I said, do people survive this? And he said, people survive this every day. And that was just, I needed to hear that from somebody that was not in my camp. You know, I needed to hear that from somebody. Meaning literally you and John. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So after that, they moved Grace into a room where we could see her and bathe her and, you know, just spend some time with her, which like... (laughs) It's, it felt it was so morbid, you know, it's just like, I was like, it just felt so wrong, but it was like, these are the only moments we have. And they asked if, um, we wanted some pictures cause they had a photographer who would come and take pictures. And it was like six, seven in the morning. I don't remember. And we waited and the photographer was taking a long time to show up and I just like, couldn't be there anymore. And just as I was like, we're out, Travis do, who was our photographer for our wedding, which she didn't know it was us and we didn't know it was her. She walked in and like, we just all had this like moment together. I treasure those pictures so much. So if anyone's listening to this, that 
may experience this on some level at some day. Like, I'm so thankful I have that memory of Grace because now, I mean, I'm crying now, <laughs> but usually when I talk about her and I think about her, it's, you know, time changes, time heals a lot of things. Um, but, you know, the first few years, time could not move any faster or slower. I mean, it just was like, holy moly. So John and I went home and we had a funeral for her. And it was, I mean, I, there were like like hundred people there, hundreds of people. I don't know. It was like crazy amount of people. Um, and the day after her, I was like, lit, I was in shock. I mean, I think. And then the day after her funeral, I started grieving and I think I grieved, I grieved fully until Waylon, my oldest son, was born. I grieved hard. Like when I say hard, I mean on the floor asking people to pray over me until, I don't know, six months. Like, I mean, it was just, I could, I've never felt depression like that. Like to the point where it was scary. Um, I mean, I lost my mother, which was absolutely terrifying, but like, you know, you, most people lose their parents before they lose their children. Um, and I, I remember like we were in that house and that, that nursery that I had like spent so much time in, I had sat in the chair and like read books to my belly, you know, like all that stuff. Um, I couldn't even go upstairs of our house. So I had a friend, two friends that came over and they boxed up the whole nursery for me and put it in storage. And then I had to take it another level because, you know, I just can't do it like lightly. I was like, we got to get out of this house. I can't be in this house anymore. Like something has to give. Like I just could not get my shit together. Um, and, and I think like there's so many God moments along the way of this story, but like we listed our house with a friend and within one or two days, we had full asking price in cash. Um, and, you know, I mean, the market in Charleston is great, but it wasn't what it is today. Not that, so yeah. So we sold... 10 years ago. 10 yeah. years ago, yep. And so we sold that house, and we moved into a house, like, the size of a closet out on the beach, and I, like, called it, like, my healing house. And we started... We broke ground to build... John's a builder. My husband's a builder. And we broke ground to build our first home together. So in the process of building that house, we were in this really small house with our two dogs. Um, it was, like, basically a room. And I was... I I had been working with Dr. Pai, and after he um, did all my genetic or did both of our genetics, it came back that I was the one that was the carrier for something that's called a balanced translocation. Um, and I'm going to let any of these listeners that want to understand it, you can Google what that is because it's like super hard to explain. But what Grace had was an unbalanced translocation. So basically, when I go to have babies with anyone, they have a 50 50 chance of being healthy. And this is not something that is runs in my family. It's just like one of those things, like it just happened. So I have a balanced translocation. So that's why I'm healthy. Grace had an unbalanced translocation. So I was talking to Dr. Pai and I said, all we want is to have babies. And he was just so lovely. And he was like, then you're going to have babies. He, I said, do you think it's irresponsible for us to try to have another baby? And he said, absolutely not. He said, people with balanced translocations have healthy babies all the time. So when I was first pregnant with Grace, we did not do any sort of genetic testing or anything like that. Um, and in my naive state, and I will call it that, this is my story, like I figured if my baby had Down syndrome or, you know, something that was like that, I, that's, that's my baby. Like I will love my baby. You know, I had no idea that there was a possibility 
that I could have a baby that would die, um, especially for something that was inside of me. And so, you know, John and I decided to try again and I get pregnant pretty easily. So we had Grace in May. She passed away May 18th and I was pregnant again in September, um, or, or the end of September. Um, and the whole time I was pregnant, I was terrified. When I tell you, like, it, I mean, it pro- it almost ended my marriage. It really did. Like, I remember John just being like, I can't do this with you anymore. Like, every day I was like, do you think the baby's going to die? Do you think the baby's going to die? You know what I mean? Like, that is some, like, heavy stuff. And while we're both grieving and, like, trying to move on with our lives, you know? And, um, and I know some people aren't, some people probably handle things differently than me or, or stronger than me in different ways. But like, for me, it was just, it, it was just so much sadness. And as someone who's like a super happy person, like I just could not live with any more sadness. Um, and so we, we knew that at 11 weeks, we were going to have to do what's called a CVS test, which is the test they do before the amnio. So they go in and they not only measure the nuchal fold, but they take a little piece of the placenta, or I don't even know what it is, and they test for abnormalities. So at this point, we're back at MUSC, and we're working with a woman named Sally Shields. I don't even know if she's still there, but she's an angel. She's a genetics counselor, and she was just, she's just super, like, responsive and real, but also very compassionate and kind. Um, And we were also talking, you know, to our minister at the time, and he knew what we were going through, and we did counseling with him as well. And you know, I knew that if the baby was sick, that there was no way I was going to be able to carry a baby to term again that was going to die. And every medical professional, you know, that I trusted and I still trust, and every piece of research that, believe me, I read the freaking internet, told me the truth, like told me this, this, these children are not compatible with life. They can't breathe, you know? Because her her um, mutation was so far down, right? Like, okay, so people kind of know Down syndrome's trisomy 21, and then the major testing that you do is for trisomy 21, and then you test for 18. And hers was so far down on the chromosome. What was it? It was nine and it was 13. It was it was 10 and 13. So what happened was a piece of her piece of her 13 broke off and was on her 10. I think that's how it was. It's really like. Like I said, when I was in the throes of it, it was like I was basically a geneticist too. Like I literally like felt like I knew everything. <laughs> yeah. And I think after all of this, I like shut it out of my brain. You know, I'm just yeah. like, it's, yeah. it, it's just, just yeah. move on. So yeah. it was just, yeah, it was a very heavy time. So anyway, we, um, we got to that 11 week mark. And I remember the night before John went out with one of his buddies to grab a beer and he came back and he's like, he's like, tomorrow's gonna be a great day. You know, again, like my eternal optimist. And I'm like, you know, and, and, and also like as someone, who, first of all, like I think women, anyone that's ever had a miscarriage or anything like as women, even though we know in our rational brain, like this isn't my fault. You're like, this is my fault. This is my body. That's letting my husband down. Like, you know, this is what my body is ultimately supposed to do is to provide children. And, um, on top of it, it's not that just that my body's letting it down. It's that this is like something that's because of me. And so it was just, it just really, it, it, there was so much guilt and shame, so much shame for so long. And we went to MUSC 
And because John and I are both self-employed, everything also that we do, we pay out of pocket for. So, I mean, this test was a couple thousand dollars. So, I mean, you know, and it's, it's just one thing after the next, but, um, so before they did the test, they came in and they measured the nuchal fold and they left and they, Sally Shields came in and she said, I want to talk to you for a minute. And I said, okay. She said, the nuchal fold is measuring thick, which is an indicator. And I said, and like John's rational hit in and he was like, so should we spend like whatever, two, $3,000 on this test? And Sally's like, you'll never forgive yourself if you don't do the test and you terminate a pregnancy. And she's at hundred percent, right? So we do this CVS test and it takes, I'm trying to think when I did it. Uh, it takes about five, I don't remember. It takes too long to get the results back. And at the time when they got, when she saw the nuchal fold, I think we all knew. And she said, but there's a slim chance. And, you know, I'm like literally on my hands and knees. I'm like, Jesus, please, please let this just, let that be like a fluke. But she said, but because you don't have insurance and you're not going to be able, you're not going to do the procedure at a, like at MUSC. She said, I'm going to have to go ahead and make you an appointment if you want one at Planned Parenthood because it does fill up fast and you're going to want this to be swift. Um, and so she went ahead and made that appointment for me while we're waiting on these results. And I remember I was sitting at a Starbucks with my old business partner at the time. And she called and told me that the baby was another sick baby, exactly, exactly the same as Grace. And, um, I was sitting at the Starbucks and I mean, I was sitting outside and I was just sobbing, like just sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. And I turned to my left and these are like those little things you remember. And over my shoulder in the Starbucks, my, one of my best friend's father was in there and he like kind of knew we were going through and he just put his hand on the window. And I was just like, it was just like, um, you know, like it, it, just these it's little like signs of like, movie. yeah, it really is. It was, it was terrible. And I remember <laughs> leaving and, um, I remember leaving that Starbucks and my partner at the time, she's like, let me drive you home. And I was like, no, I need to make a call. And I called our minister at our church. I mean, literally, I think I called his office and they were like, he's not here. I was like, and I apologize for the profanity, but I really think I, I was, I was mad at him as if he Find was God, him. right? Yeah. Like I said, yeah. I need that motherfucker's phone number. Okay. And so he <laughs> called me and I was like, I mean, I, I lost it. Like literally like to the point where I've sent, sent him a letter and said, I really apologize. I don't, I'm sure you've never heard anyone speak <laughs> like this before. <laughs> and he's like, he's, I said, how can I make this decision? All I want is a baby. Yeah. All I want is a baby. How can I do this? What is going on? Yeah. And he said, Sarah, you're making the right decision. He's like, you, he's was like, I don't know if you'll survive it. Right. So then what? So then, okay. So the mother's health or an unborn fetus's health, right? Like it's, and it's, it was really tricky. And then he also said, I need to get off the phone with you. You need to call John. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, I called John, my stepmother came in town. I didn't want John to go with me. Um, because, not because he wouldn't have, he would have been there in a second and he would have supported me. But because again, in my, you know, 30 year old brain, I was the problem and I had tainted our marriage so much. And I'd taken this thing away from him now twice. And I just felt horribly shameful. And so she took me to Planned Parenthood and I, I was definitely the oldest person in there by far. I don't know what anyone else's circumstances were. It was none of my business. But um, 
you know, I desperately wanted to have this child and I'm not saying that anyone else in there didn't want to have their child either, but they put us in this room and, and this, and the, um, experience was, it was, it was safe. It was affordable. I'm not complaining about that or saying anything bad about it. It was exactly what we needed at the time, but they put you in this room and there was like some stupid talk show on and it was a gender reveal talk show. And I just lost it. I was like, I can't sit in here and watch this. So they had to put me in another room. And then you have your procedure. Um, And we went back to my house after. And it was really rough after that. I remember it was at that point, we were like maybe a week or two before Christmas. And right after the procedure, I like you know, I decided I had to bounce. Like, I was like, we're not going to, I can't dwell on this. Like, I can't be in this bad space anymore. So literally the next day I'm in a freaking like workout class, you know, like an idiot. And then I had some complications because probably of that, like there was a lot of scar tissue and a lot of bleeding. And I mean, I was, you know, pretty far along to have a procedure at that point. I was about 12 weeks. Um, John and I decided that we were not going to celebrate Christmas that year because like, I think anyone that, has had babies, like you have milestones. Like I was like, we're going to have grace in May and we'll have Halloween and we'll have Thanksgiving. We'll have Christmas. You know, I just couldn't do any of the things that she was supposed to be at. So we went out, we have a buddy, um, whose family has a house out in Vail. And I've said this before in a podcast, but it's so true. John's like this incredible skier. He's like an Olympian and I can barely pizza down a mountain. (laughs) So I drank and he skied and we decided that, we were going to do IVF um, because it was a lot safer of an option for us and we could select healthier embryos and take a different route. And that was our, that was our next path. And, you know, I always say that Waylon is like, I mean, Waylon is my soulmate. Like he, and that might sound crazy, but like literally when they put that baby on my chest, I felt like grief and shock and trauma just leave my body. It was the biggest the biggest, it was the biggest God moment of my life. Like he just, you know, it was, it was such, it was so redemptive. Um, and he was born December, 2013. And then we did more fertility. I had a few miscarriages just from some fertility stuff. And we eventually got pregnant with my boy girl twins and we had them February, 2017. I mean, Sarah, you were pregnant how many times? How many? Eight, 10, eight, 10 times? No, no, no. I think like five or six. Do you know I like lost count? I lost count of how many miscarriages I'm like, I had. No, a lot it's of- more than that. Cause like, let's see. Okay. Grace, then Waylon. baby after that, then Waylon, then oh, the yeah. twins. So at least four. And then so you maybe had like multiple miscarriages. Like I mean, six or seven. Seven, eight yeah. times. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> And what's crazy, like, you know, the reason we're having this conversation, you know, really is I, I think there are plenty of people who cannot fathom why anyone, why, why abortion has to exist at all. Why would anyone need to, to do that? Why couldn't, I had this question box up and it's like, why can't these women just give birth? Like talking about kind of your situation. And it's like, Mm. listen Mm. to this story. I mean, are you serious? Like how can you? And not every situation is so, so different in that. But, but I just, I felt like the four people that don't know anyone who's been through this, or maybe the person's never talked about it. There's so much shame. Like you said, so much Mm -hmm. just shame, grief, guilt, all of it. 
But then the crazier part to me is that there could be, there, there are scenarios. I think Texas, it's already <clears throat> happening where the laws could become so restrictive that even IVF will be very different than as we know it now. So like mm-hmm. even your three children that you have now, right. there's a possibility that that would have been so unaffordable. For, I mean, you guys have, you know, resources. You, yeah. You're in a two-income family. You know, you've got mm-hmm. good family support. You've totally. got friends. And there are plenty of people all across the country who c- cannot and will not ever be able to afford IVF. Um, and especially then if they, if, if the laws in particular states go kind of in the way that they, they might, which is like, you can only make a certain amount at, at once. And like, they might not allow the testing for genetic, all the, we could go down a rabbit hole, but we won't, but there'd be a chance that you'd have to go through IVF like six or eight times to, to produce a pregnancy or a child. So anyway, it just, it just, it matters. These, these conversations matter because the, it's so subtle and nuanced. It's, I don't think it's as black and white as, as we want. We desperately want to make it a black and white situation. And and I think for a lot of pro-lifers, it's actually not black and white and they just don't realize it. And I think for a lot of pro-choicers, it's not as black and white as they, we want it to be. And we, we don't realize it. So it's, it's, it's hard. It's really hard conversation. So if you've been following DabbleCo and me for any length of time, you know that I'm super careful with anybody that I endorse or any partnership or brand here. So the goal is always to share evidence-based medicine and things backed by actual science with our audience and our followers. So I was thrilled when BetterHelp approached me to do a partnership with them. So thank you so much to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is an online platform that connects you to counseling in an incredibly convenient and affordable way, which I think are the two biggest barriers to counseling, access and affordability. So I was actually really surprised when I looked up their rates for counseling. They were a third of what I feel like I've ever heard and what I've personally paid. Um, It solves both of the problems with literally the click of a button on the internet. So I have personally seen the benefits of counseling. I know firsthand how important it is, and I know it plays a crucial role in mental health. So check them out, and they will know that I sent you, and you'll get 10% off your first month of counseling if you head to betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Um, so it's super easy, betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Thanks, guys. You know, I think it's really hard, and and but, you know, I was talking to um, a woman about it today, and I I have to like, and I'm not saying this to be, you know, like flippant or queer or anything like that, but I, I'm going to go out on a limb and just say that for the most part, I'm going to say 99.9% of people don't go to have sex, whether you're looking to have a baby or not and think, oh, well, if I get pregnant, I'll just have an abortion. Like I, I, because it's right. Especially if you've had one, right? Like, it's not like, this is not like a walk in the park. It's literally a procedure. And then you bleed for about three weeks. It's not this is not like an easy decision to make. It's not like let, you know, and, and I say that and then, and then, you know, it, it, it is a little tricky for me because, you know, I do, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus, all of this. Yes. A hundred percent. And I also believe in like human rights, women's rights, health. Like I said, like if I had, if I had had that baby, okay. And I'm holding that baby and that baby dies again. I, I'm, pretty much don't think I would still be married, right? I may not even be here. So like, where does the sin lie? Like, if that's what we're going to talk about, right? 
divorce, suicide. Like I hate to say that, but like that would have yeah. completely ruined me. Yeah. And I mean, I've, you know, I think that's all that's about giving grace too. And, and I remember hearing this growing up, like, and this is not my belief particularly about this thing, but for some, maybe someone else, like, you know, maybe you hate the sin, but you love the sinner. Like you got, we got to protect each other. And I just think it's a really, really dangerous situation, to be honest with you. Yeah. And it's so I actually changed the order of these podcasts around. So I was going to have you be second and your third. So like we're recording on May 19th. So Scott Saul's that the pastor I interviewed, his episode will come out before yours. And one thing that we talk about at the end. So first of all, we talk about, you know, support, like what I, I guarantee you there are women from any age that have had an abortion and the trauma of it is so real because maybe they did really desperately want that baby. We'll never know. It's, it's not our situation. We'll never know. And so one thing Scott and I talked about was, you know, we're not doing a good enough job being pro-life all the way around. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's one thing to say you're pro-life and be anti-abortion, but like that mother is maybe having that procedure because she thinks she has no other choice. There's no other path forward. And then at the end, what, what I asked him specifically, because I just hope people can, first of all, I hope people like stay till the end of his podcast and listen to it and don't like, you know, come like egg my house or whatever. But, um, at the end I said, you know, Scott, I had a conversation one time with, uh, with a friend who said, you know, I feel like I'm going to stand at the gates of, of heaven and God's going to ask me, you know, like what I did for, you know, to, to save these children or, you know, basically just saying like, I'm going to get, you know, judged for my sin when I get to heaven. And, and he, I hope you guys have listened to that episode. He was like, that's not how it works. That's not how grace works. That's then what was the you know point of Jesus? Like that's, that's just not how that works. And, and so anyway, that, that I, I hope that relieves a burden of, of guilt or shame that if you're in a, if you're in a church, you know, that's telling you you're going to hell if, if this, if you have an abortion, they're not, nobody's, I don't think there's any church in America that's like encouraging it, but there are churches who certainly are telling people, um, you're going to hell for this. And, and that's just, that's not how, um, grace, you know, God's grace works. Well, and like, you know, I, I've talked to doctors about this. I was one of my friends, um, was in town this weekend and she's like a doctor, very well respected. Like, I mean, she went to Yale, like she's very, very smart, you know, and she works with a population. She works in addiction and, you know, she works with a population of a lot of people that are, they're getting off of heroin and, you know, she talks a lot about these women that come in that are like, really, I don't want to know if the word's tortured, but they're like, I can't have this baby. Like I've been doing so much heroin. So I'm going to have this baby. And then this baby's going to have this horrible life because they're going to come out addicted to heroin. And then, you know, everything that comes from that. And like there has, I believe strongly, and I know this is probably a different conversation, but we need to, like you kind of said too, we got to think about the lives all around. And, you know, like that's not, I don't know for me, there, there's, there has to be something said for like a quality of life for both people, the mother and the child. Supplements and vitamins are just a part of so many of our daily lives now. So how do we know what to choose in a brand? My family personally uses Thorn. 
Thorne has partnerships with hospitals and universities across the country, including the Mayo Clinic and Charleston's own Medical University of South Carolina. You can order any Thorne product through me when you create your account at thorne.com slash u slash dabbleco and you'll receive 15% off and free shipping on all your future orders. When you create your account, you'll just be prompted to confirm dabbleco as your referral and the discounts applied in the cart after you create your account. Again, that's thorne.com slash u like the letter u slash dabbleco. And you can also find the direct link in the show notes. it's something it's tough and it's just and unfortunately the people actually making the rules and the legislation um are are not they're not the ones who should be they're not the ones who should be involved in this conversation it's but that's another topic for another day but oh don't man. get me started there girl i ain't got time <laughs> no, <you don't. laughs> not enough jesus today i'm trying to mind my p's and q's right now <laughs> Um, no, yeah. And I think like my biggest, just, you know, one last thing before we hop off, but like, I think kind of like what you said, nobody knows the shoes that we're all walking in and how somebody would say like, well, why don't you just, you know, I I put it out on Instagram yesterday, like that you and I were chatting and I got like, mostly I literally got like a ton of people that were like, I support you. Like, thank you so much for having this hard conversation, blah, blah, blah. But I did get a few, like, how do you reconcile like your religion? And I, my belief is, and again, this is me, it's like, I'm not God. I can't yeah. judge your experience, Claire. You can't judge my experience. Like, I can be your sister in it if you're looking at me and being like, I'm having a really hard time. I can love you. I can hold your hand. Yeah. I can pray for you, you know, but I can't judge you and tell you what you're doing is right or wrong. No. We, if, if, if anyone is sitting at there on this listening, and I don't unfollow Claire because I'm an asshole, but like, <laughs> if you're thinking like, I've never done anything wrong. You're lying. You are absolutely lying to yourself and you need to go sit in front of a mirror for a long time and think about it. You know, like that's not true. So like, why is one thing different than another, you know? And, and if we're, if, if, if this, I don't personally believe that the people that are making this decision are basically making it based on religion. I think that there's a lot of power, money, whatever it is, but you know, if that's the argument, like we're all doing things every day. You can go through that whole beautiful book of the Bible and you're going to find something to go, oh, I did that. Like, why is one sin different than another? You know, and and we know, too, I just have that's where I have a hard time with that. There's all these Republican lawmakers that, you know, it comes out constantly that they paid for their wife or their mistress or their whoever to have an abortion. So it's like, you know, everyone knows that hypocrisy is just astounding. But I I, I don't even have words for it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't even have words for it. And I think. Well, I'm going to stop there because I really could go on and on. But well, I do hope people I listen to am, Scott's episode, though, really, because to, to hear him to say that Scott is in, he truly like he worked with Tim Keller for years. I mean, he's he could not be like a more gentle, kind dude to talk about this with. Um, and and he, his, yeah. the whole episode, it's not about legislating, you know, women's um, somebody wrote me this stank message about men talking about women's health care. And I was like, dude, he's not talking about women's health care. He's talking about our behavior as Christians. Like that's what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. So, and that's a very different mm-hmm. thing. Anyway. Oh gosh, Sarah, yeah. we could go on for hours. Um, where can people find you we if could. they'd like to see more of you and more of your story? Um, personally on Instagram, um, Sarah, it's at Sarah with an H lives yoga. And then my work account is at the works CHS and our website is theworkchs.com. Awesome. 
Well, Sarah, so, yeah. thank you for doing that. I know this is, we've been like on and off talking about this for weeks and it's just, thank you for going there. Thank you for talking about it. Thank you for, for sharing. And, um, guys, as always, if you liked the episode, please rate, subscribe, um, share it with people and I'll see you next week.